0: Twain is one of the most successful musicians in the world, but life before and after fame has not been smooth sailing. In fact, in Shania's personal life, the wild twists and turns are almost difficult to comprehend. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Sarah McDonald. Hello, Michelle Andrews. I got to say, this series is a long time in the making for us. We've had it, you know, swirling around the office for a while.
1: Yeah, it's been one that has been on our minds for a very long time. It's also been really highly requested that whenever we. For sure. Whenever we talk to you guys about what scandals you want to hear, Shania's name comes up again and again and again. Of course, we know her as a household name in music. She is the top selling female country artist of all time. Yes including Taylor Swift. She has sold 100 million albums worldwide. I do need to give the caveat though that we can't really compare apples and oranges of who sold back in the 80s and 90s and noughties and then how people are streamed today on Apple Music and Spotify. Correct
0: but you know she's successful nonetheless. (laughs) 100 mil is still a big number. Yeah you are of course probably familiar with her songs Man I Feel Like a Woman and That Don't Impress Me Much. But have you heard about the details of Shania's life away from music? Because to be honest, guys, it is one of the more interesting stories we've encountered while doing Scandal. It is something I knew very, very little about. Mm. We're going to be talking about her tricky childhood, her meteoric rise to stardom, and all the drama that went down between her and her rock producer husband, mutt lang
1: yeah guys we do need to give you a heads up a content warning this series will discuss domestic violence and sexual assault so keep that in mind while you are listening we are going to rewind back to 1965 zara because shania twain's childhood was a really complicated one writing
0: this. So Shania Twain was actually born with the name Eileen Regina Edwards on the 28th of August 1965. She actually grew up in a mining town in Ontario, Canada with her mother Sharon and her stepfather Jerry as well as her grandmother Eileen and her five siblings.
1: Yeah Shania's mother Sharon had a difficult start to adult life too. She was only 18 when she fell pregnant with her first child. That's Shania's older half-sister Jill and that was actually when her fiancé Gilbert was killed in a car accident. The following year, Sharon met and married a man named Clarence Edwards who is Shania's biological father. They had Shania in 1965 as well as her little sister carrie two years later. Shania's biological father did abandon the family though when she was just a baby and her parents had divorced by the time that she was two. She never knew Clarence very well and her mother had soon moved on with a 20-year-old guy named Jerry Twain. They married when Shania was four. By the time her mother was 22 years old, she was a married mum of three.
0: So, so much going on there already Mm. at such an early point of Shania's mum's life. In addition to the three daughters that Sharon had, Sharon and Jerry went on to have a son named Mark. Now, when Mark was just a baby, the couple also took in Jerry's nephew, a little boy named Daryl, after Jerry's older sister died by suicide. Now, the Twain family struggled deeply with money and poor mental health. The picture that Shania paints in her memoir from this moment on is an incredibly bleak one. Her family regularly moved apartments because they would default on paying rent. Then they'd move town so they could get a new rental and buy some more time before they were kicked out again. The passages in Shania's memoir about her being hungry or covering her shoes with plastic bags in the wintertime are pretty stark and she kind of explained in her memoir that the family was so poor that she said she didn't wash her hair or brush her teeth.
1: Yeah, in many ways, it sounds like Shania was forced to fend for herself for much of her childhood as well as for her younger siblings. Here's a passage she wrote in her memoir. "'Because of the unpredictable periods of instability in my childhood home, I didn't feel that I could really rely on my parents to be consistent caregivers or protectors of me. I didn't know what to count on from one day to the next, calm or chaos, and this made me anxious and insecure.' It was hard to know what to expect, so it was easier to just be ready for anything all the time. It sounds like she was in this constant fight-or-flight mode for her entire childhood.
0: Yeah, 100%. Now, Shania has also been extremely open about how she was surrounded by violence for a lot of her childhood and she said that her mother was the victim of Jerry's violence. For example, at age four, Shania said she witnessed her stepfather, Jerry, knock her mum unconscious against a toilet seat and attempt to drown her.
1: In her memoir, Shania wrote, I can clearly remember screeching at the top of my lungs as if someone were killing me personally. Absolute bloody murder was ripping out of my throat. The life was gone out of my mother, and I felt as if my brain were about to burst from screeching so hard and so loud.
0: Shania later told the Sunday Times that she suffered sexual violence at the hands of her stepfather as well. She said, I hid myself and I would flatten my boobs. I would wear bras that were too small for me and I'd wear two, play it down until there was nothing girl about me. Make it easier to go unnoticed because oh my gosh, it was terrible. You didn't want to be a girl in my house.
1: She then added, then you go into society and you're a girl and you're getting the normal other unpleasant stuff too and that reinforces it. Despite all of the horrible things that Shania encountered as a childhood, she has a really interesting perspective on her up." bringing she does describe her parents as being and I quote aloof and even negligent but also qualified in her memoir I just accepted the fact that they weren't always capable of being there for me to the extent that I wished they would be they didn't choose to be that way circumstances mainly poverty prevented them from being the ideal parents that in their hearts they probably had hoped to be I read Shania's memoir and I've got to say it's such a fascinating read because she has so much compassion even for the stepfather who abused her. She has such a big heart even for the people who have treated her terribly. It's pretty
0: remarkable isn't it? Now Shania also wrote that her mum Sharon repeatedly tried to leave her abusive marriage over the years. The most potent memory that Shania revisited was in 1979 when she was 15 years old and hell-bent on getting her mum out of the house and into safety. Shania said she took matters into her own hands and was determined to get her mother out of the situation. Of this, she wrote in her memoir, "'I couldn't count on my mother to make definitive decisions for our family or herself for that matter. By this time, I couldn't even coax her out of bed at the end of my school day. So I made my own plan to break free of this cursed cycle we were all in. The minute my dad was out the door for work, I zipped around the house, packing a few clothes for us kids.' Meanwhile, I tended to my mother as if it was just another day, coffee and a cigarette in bed. Next, I herded Carrie, Mark and Daryl into the car and told them to wait. There was a time when my dad took turns driving to and from work with a co-worker to save on gas, which explains why the car was at home. In any case, we had the car that day and I took advantage of the opportunity. I crammed it with as much of our belongings as I could. Whatever we didn't fit... left behind.
1: Mm, Ten hours later, they reached Toronto and took refuge in a homeless shelter. They slept in a crowded, really hot room on cot-like beds. There was no privacy. Everyone shared the bathrooms. And in the morning, they all ate at these long cafeteria-like tables. At first, Shania wondered if she had made a mistake bringing her mum and siblings there. But at the same time, she was grateful that they actually had breakfast at the shelter, something that they often went without. Soon after, Shania's family was transferred to a women's shelter for their safety.
0: They spent quite a bit of time there. However, when Shania was about 16 in the summer of 1981, her mum did return to Jerry. Sharon reasoned that the boys needed their dad and Shania could sense that her mother had sort of grown tired of supporting
1: the family on her own through work and welfare. Mm. Shania told Ellen DeGeneres years later that her relationship with her stepfather is complicated because amongst the violence, there were also joyful memories. She said, in between the violence, you know, everything just went back to normal right the next Next day. Everyone would just carry on like nothing ever happened, and that is how I certainly suffered in silence. Now, despite her
0: turbulent upbringing, Shania's parents did encourage her to pursue singing and actually loved country music themselves. In the documentary, Not a Girl, Shania said that even as a small child, my mum, and I quote, would put me up on the countertops and I would sing for the people at the restaurant. She went on pretty much anywhere that my mother could find an audience, that's where she brought me to sing. I remember clearly.
1: It was my mother's dream for me to become a professional singer. Mm, Shania felt it was her responsibility to save herself and her mother and her siblings by making it as a performer. She explained in the documentary, hearing my mother saying, you can make it, you're going to make it. I felt like that was going to save us somehow if I made it. And it was more of a responsibility to be a performer, to do it as a career. Kind of a lot of pressure to feel as a young kid, hey? Oh, my God. Well, not just that. Like, the imagery of Shania being the one who has to bundle her siblings and her mother into the car, the one who has to get them to this shelter, the one who has to have this burden of how am I going to make money? How am I going to get my family out of this situation? It's huge. Like, I cannot comprehend having that amount of weight on my shoulders so very young. Completely. Now, like many, she grew up listening
0: to a lot of Dolly Parton and hoped that Dolly's success story meant that it was possible for her to succeed too. Now, perhaps the greatest challenge of Shania's life, and I think our listeners will be saying what what can get worse yeah what's a greater challenge than this came when she was 22 years old on november 1 1987
1: she was at home with her boyfriend jim when the phone started to ring mish yeah here's how shania described that moment in her memoir i can tell by jim's tone that the call is for me so i step up to take the receiver from him only he doesn't hand it to me he gets very serious and signals for me to sit down I feel worried straight away as I sense it's someone I know and that the call is for me and I don't understand why he isn't just passing the phone. I try to interrupt him a couple of times asking, who is it, what's going on, but he's concentrating hard on what's being said as if straining to comprehend what the person is saying.
0: Yeah, she continued, I am restless and beginning to pace as I wait for him to respond to my anxious string of questions. At last, Jim hangs up the phone and reaches for my hands and we sit down on the sofa facing each other. Jim began to tell me very quietly, but clearly that my parents had been in a terrible car accident. I jumped in with total panic. Are they okay? What's happening? Tell me. He began to explain, but with several interruptions from me, Jim couldn't get it out fast enough for my racing thoughts. My mind was spinning and I needed him to hurry up and tell me what I didn't want to hear but had to know. When he finally said they were killed, it was if something burst inside of me like an emotional explosion. I was faintly aware of pounding Jim's chest with my hands, shrieking that this could not be true. My mind was going to resist reality for as long as it could.
1: Yeah, both of Shania's parents had been killed in that car accident. As we said, she was 22 years old. We don't know Everything about what happened. We do have some detail. It turns out that Jerry and Sharon had been driving on a remote logging road on their way to a job site when they were involved in a head on collision with a truck loaded with timber. Her mother died instantly, while her stepfather died later from internal injuries. Shania's brother Mark was also in the car at the time of the accident, but did survive the crash. Shania opened up about this fatal car crash years later to 60 Minutes when she said, At that point in my life, I would have rather gone with them. It was like, this is way too much to handle.
0: Yeah, and yet, despite all these hurdles placed in her way, Shania kept chasing her dream of becoming a country music star. She took a singing job at Deerhurst Resort in order to pay the bills and help support her family. The new job required her to pick up her family and move to Huntsville. And the home she found, she said, was far from ideal, but it was the best she could find with the little money she had and on such short notice. When she arrived at the bungalow, there was no running water or functioning toilets. She slept on the carpet without a mattress and brushed her teeth in the small creek.
1: This has to be the most different celebrity creation story that we have read. I've definitely not researched anything like this. She's in her early 20s by this point. She's brushing her teeth with water she finds in a creek. And she goes on to become the biggest country female music star of all time.
0: Yeah, like an orphan looking after her siblings. It's... Unbelievable in many aspects.
1: Now, despite her
0: hardships in Huntsville as well, her time performing at Deerhurst Resort did make Shania realize she did not want to throw away her talent. So one day, a friend of Shania's mother, a woman named Mary, decided to bring one of her connections along to see Shania perform at the resort. Now, he was a prominent music business attorney named Richard Frank,
1: and he was about to change Shania's life. Yeah, after seeing Shania sing Wind Beneath My Wings, Richard Frank took one of of her demo tapes to a well-known record producer named noro wilson now when noro wilson heard shania sing he agreed that shania was seriously talented and within a matter of months she was sent to nashville and got set up with a record contract in 1992 that was when her name eileen officially became her stage name shania yes forgive us for calling her
0: shania this entire time but we felt for ease sake yeah <laughs> easier if we just call her Shania. (laughs) Now, after Shania was signed, the reality of actually being in Nashville fell short of what she'd imagined. She had little creative input as to what she could record and was not impressed
1: by the caliber of material being sent her way. Shania's frustration only grew through the recording process, but she conceded that she needed to be pragmatic and that when you're starting out in this kind of industry, you really don't have all that much choice. The early days of her time at this record label weren't just difficult because of the stifled creativity either. Shania has written about some pretty horrible experiences, particularly one with a male songwriter that again damaged her ability to trust men. By this point in the timeline, Shania was entering her late 20s
0: and according to her memoir, she'd met a male songwriter and the two of them decided to work on songs together at his home just outside of Nashville. Since it was a long drive, the songwriter and Shania agreed that she should stay the night in the spare room. But when the man's wife had gone to bed, she recalled him creeping into her bed and getting under the sheets. She wrote this of that time. I guess he thought he'd just hop right in and help himself. My reaction was sharp and abrupt. I reprimanded him as he would a pesky child asking him what the hell he thought he was doing. I let him know that firstly I was surprised by his indecent proposal and secondly I was so not interested. I wondered what in the world gave him the idea that I was attracted to him but then I felt a dirty chill come over me when it dawned on me that that was just it. He didn't actually care if I was attracted to him or not. He saw me as a struggling singer songwriter far from home new in town vulnerable and therefore available
1: Mm, so she's really struggling with this industry in multiple ways one area of her career where Shania found that she could wrestle back control was actually her music videos now executives might not have trusted her sense of songwriting and artistic direction but they did trust her sense of style and her vision for her music videos It's so interesting and now with hindsight seems
0: totally absurd but Shania made waves and massive amounts of controversy (laughs) in the country music industry when she released the music video for her 1993 single What Made You Say That. Now this video was considered so scandalous (laughs) that country music television went so far as to ban the music video from their channel.
1: You might be asking why then? What could she possibly do in this video that is so scandalous? Well she bared her midriff. (laughs) Now we watched this video obviously all these decades later in 2023 and I got to tell you guys If this was scandalous, I would love to know what those country music executives would think of half of the music videos we see today. I was blown away. I thought I'd found
0: the wrong video (laughs) initially when we were researching this. The criticism didn't stop there either. According to Stephen Irwin's Shania Twain biography, most critics accused her of diluting country with bland, empathetic hard rock techniques and shamelessly selling
1: her records with sexy videos. (laughs) Shania was very aware of this criticism. In an episode of Home Now Radio, she recalled, "'Part of the quote from one of my reviews was, "'She's America's best-paid lap dancer in Nashville. "'She's hot, but can she sing? "'Is Shania just a flash in the pan, "'the most famous midriff in Nashville?' Shania admits she was a little bit hurt that the critics never really seemed to focus on her music, only her body. She said, I would be hated by the men because I was too opinionated and too forceful and demanding, and I would be hated by the women because I was being sensually expressive. Even Canadian critics were
0: unmoved by the homegrown star. When her self-titled debut album was released in '93. the Montreal Gazette commented that it felt manufactured and the Toronto star weighed in with, and I quote, not much of a voice, but oh, those videos. Mm. An article looking back on the sexism published in Canadian magazine McLean's read, it was accepted wisdom that those videos, in inverted commas, code for sex appeal, were all Twain had to offer. It went on. Twain's belly button was a lightning rod, and the blowback could have derailed her career if listeners hadn't found the songs so catchy. We are going to talk more about her career and the very important people she met along the way right after the break.
1: despite the critics, there was one person who adored what Shania Twain was doing in 1993. His name was Robert John Mutt Lang, and he was one of the most acclaimed rock producers in the industry. To get an idea of how noteworthy and powerful Mutt, and yes, Mutt, Mutt. (laughs) not Matt, Mutt, was, we're gonna give a little a little synopsis of his CV because he produced hit records for ACDC, Def Leppard, and Brian Adams. He's also gone on to work with pop icons Celine Dion, Britney Spears, and Lady Gaga. Despite his success, when Mutt
0: reached out to Shania's team, Shania had no idea who he <laughs> was. Now, their professional relationship informally kickstarted shortly after when Mutt initiated a phone call with Shania. They spoke on the phone for three hours and he proposed that they should get together and write music. That is exactly what they did. Shania says she would prop up her phone so Mutt could hear her play guitar and sing songs that she was working on remotely. She wrote of this in her memoir, talking to him cheered me up since he seemed to speak my language musically only with the added charm of a South African British hybrid accent. He sounded mature and I guessed he was older than me. Over time, I developed a mental picture of what he must look like. A tall, pudgy man in his 50s wearing a floral shirt, balding in front, but with long (laughs) black silver hair tied back in a ponytail. I have
1: no idea how this image found its way into my head. Shania has also said that Mutt was very considerate of her delicate financial status in those early days. He understood that she couldn't afford all the calls they had to make in order to produce this music together. So he would either call her directly or when she'd call him he would immediately tell her to hang up so that he could call her right back and foot the bill of the phone call. I know this is such a small point but I do really like that in a person who is as wealthy as what Mutt was at this stage in life to be that self-aware. Yeah because I think you see a lot
0: of people get rich and lose sense of money or self-awareness. Financial realities for some yeah, yeah. of money. Together, these two became pretty incredible collaborators. Shania wrote about the first time she heard Mutt play her his work down the phone. She said, I almost fell out of my chair. The sound was so astounding. I was blown away by it sonically, the arrangement and the whole gorgeous wall of sound pouring through the receiver. It was hard for me to hold in my excitement as I heard this incredible music. I remember
1: thinking quite naively, this guy is really good. This stuff's <laughs> going to be big. After months of phone conversations, Shania and Mutt met for the first time in Nashville at the Country Music fanfare Fair... On June 10, 1993, of their meeting, Shania wrote, "'Aside from being tall, nothing about Mutt's appearance fit my image of him. He had curly blonde, shoulder-length hair, light blue eyes, and a slender, fit physique. He was older than me, but looked younger than his voice suggested. I was surprised that he looked so different from what I was expecting. He was even warmer and more approachable in person.'" I loved Mutt Lang at first sight. Not that I was in love with him, but I loved him with a familiarity I couldn't explain. We had a connection that I didn't understand and didn't question. It was natural and easy. Not romantic, not yet. It was a love that felt innocent and comfortable just the way it is. A month later,
0: Shania flew to London to meet up with Mutt again. This time, she was prepared with a long list of melodies and ideas she'd banked up and felt creatively charged to work with him. The next day, Mutt flew himself and Shania to his second house in Spain, where he felt the scenery would be more creatively inspiring.
1: So just checking in, she's told us that it's it's love, but platonic love, but they are going on like working holidays together. Creative sort of Vacations. Yeah. Now, Shania got the dream songwriting sessions she was craving for so long. What she lacked in creative inspiration with her debut album was very much present when she and Mutt were in a room together. She wrote, I had a partner, someone who was doing the same thing I was, living and breathing music intensely for an extended period of time until he came up with something satisfying. There was never anyone around except the two of us and the cleaning lady. Despite the luxurious trip in a foreign country and the very obvious connection,
0: Shania insists there wasn't any inkling of romance in 93. For one, she had a boyfriend named Paul waiting for her back home. But despite that, she said she missed Mutt when she returned to Nashville, so much so that the second she got home, she called him to tell him that.
1: Yeah, Mutt and Shania kept collaborating and kept taking trips together to Spain to work on music. It was on their third trip to Mallorca, Shania says, that would change the course of her life forever. She said not only were her hit songs taking shape, but so was the foundation of a romantic relationship. She wrote, I could sense that being with Mutt was awakening something inside me other than friendship. My impression was that Mutt was a humble and sincere person interested in music more deeply than anything else but he began to reveal a sincere interest in me personally which I was also feeling mutually. She went on, I tried to control
0: my burgeoning feelings for him. Life would just carry on as before. I would go home to Paul, his family, and our little cabin by the river and ignore that something within me was somehow different. I wanted to sit around the campfire and sing my new songs, deny the realization that the person I'd spent the last six years in a relationship with was not the one I would build my future with. I was afraid to let go, as if letting go of my relationship with Paul felt as though I would be letting go of stability itself. Mm. She went on, but I could not hold on to something for the Sake of feeling safe. I had to be honest with him and myself that I was not committed to marrying him and holding on to that would be wrong. God, you can see how Shania was holding on to this relationship. Mm. You know, it, it also probably marked the line in the sand between old life and new life. Yeah, I agree. And she had clearly been through so much and this poor guy who we've actually not heard that much about seemed
1: to represents some level of stability and safety to her. Yeah, it's not sparky. No, well, Is that even a word? He barely even makes it into the memoir. I mean, it's a six-year-long relationship and he yeah. barely features, which I think maybe says it all. Shania broke up with Paul and went to live with her mum's friend and her now manager, Mary. While we don't know exact timelines, perhaps Shania intentionally kept them blurry, it sounds like she only stayed with Mary for three days before officially leaving for Nashville and officially entering a relationship with Mutt. It wouldn't surprise me if timelines overlapped here a little bit, I've got to be honest. Things with Mutt moved at the speed of light by the time that they were out in the open together. As Shania put it in the documentary, Not Just a Girl, to put it all in a nutshell, we met, we fell in love, were engaged and wrote an entire album in six months. We were married in that six months as well. This has been such a... Quick. quick amount
0: of time. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they got married in that six months. They tied the knot on December 28, 1993 at Deerhurst Resort, of course, the same place that Shania started singing to pay the bills. She was 28. She wrote of her wedding day, I giggled like a little girl all the way down the aisle. It was small and intimate, a beautiful
1: start to our lives together. We were happy and sincere about the vows we'd written for each other. Yeah, Martin and Shania chose their wedding song together, Let It Be Me by the Everly Brothers and Shania's uncle Don walked her down the aisle. Not long after the wedding, Mutt and Shania got back to work. Her second album, The Woman in Me, was a joint project. Mutt not only produced her music but also helped with the songwriting and even layered his voice in with her backing vocals. Shania's respect and praise for Mutt is very obvious. If you read her memoir or watch the documentary, she particularly admires Mutt's unwavering ability to not bend to critics. Shania was really in sync with his conviction to back him And ultimately, she says she felt really protected as an artist, that he was her producer. Yeah, before the first
0: single was released, Shania was meeting at all hours of the day with radio programmers to promote her album, despite knowing that many in-country music would never take her seriously as an artist. I mean, at this point in the story, as you can tell, she was still fighting that credibility
1: battle. Mm. And she's 28. Again, it's not like she's a really, really young artist. She's in her late 20s. All of her hard work paid off though, because Any Man of Mine shot up the charts and was Shania's first number one single on the country charts in July, 1995. The Woman in Me became the highest selling country album of the year, spending 29 weeks at the top of the album charts and winning a Grammy for best country album the following year. That doesn't mean the critics were on her side, though, Zara. No, in
0: fact, Entertainment Weekly completely slammed The Woman In Me. They published this. What do you get when you pair a former Canadian resort singer with a Karen Carpenter fixation and an over-the-top producer who thinks it would be fun to work in country? The Woman In Me, one of the worst records (laughs) of the decade. Billboard as well, Mish, was no kinder. Their article read, the lyrics are dance floor dumb.
1: I mean, it's a good reminder that maybe critics can all disagree. You can't win a Grammy for Best Country Album. No. Without some critics admiring what you're doing. But to be called one of the worst records of the decade is pretty crazy. Pretty brutal. Yeah, absolutely. By November
0: 1997, Shania's third album, Come On Over, was released and broke massive records. With 40 million copies sold, not only had Shania produced the biggest selling studio album by a female in history, She'd also
1: created the best-selling country album, Of all time. Out of the album's 16 tracks, a whopping 12 were released as singles. It's crazy. It's so insane. And then you hear these song titles and you're like, oh my god. All same album as well. Yeah, I love these songs even now. This album included the hits Man I Feel Like a Woman, You're Still the One, From This Moment On and That Don't Impress Me Much. It's insane. That's so many banger
0: lead songs. What would normally be a lead song on an album, but there's just so many. The critics finally were starting to Give credit where credit was due. Rolling Stone wrote, call it pop, call it country, call it what you will, but the music featured on Shania Twain's third album, Come On Over, has managed to transcend genre in becoming the best selling album by a solo female artist of all time.
1: The success was meticulously planned as well. As Shania explained in Not Just a Girl, what changed between The Woman in Me and Come On Over, really more than anything, was the intention. And the intention was to now graduate from a domestic Success to a global success. And that was going to mean making the music move more into a popular sound. So Shania was thriving. She was it. She had hit the very, very pinnacle of success in the music industry. For whatever reason, though, the media had started to maybe take a magnifying glass to the health of her marriage with Mutt. So much so that Shania's single, You're Still the One, was actually written as a response to the doubters of the strength of her relationship. Some of the lyrics in this song include, they said, I bet they'll never make it, but just look at us holding on. We're still together, still going strong. You're still the one I run to, the one that I belong to. You're still the one I want for life. Other lyrics were, ain't nothing better, we beat the odds together, I'm glad we didn't listen, look at what we would be missing. It's so funny when you read that. <laughs> it's also missing, Yeah, not missing. I know. <laughs> in her Netflix
0: documentary, Shania said, you're still the one applies very much to my life in the sense that I think my marriage, my relationship with my husband was something that I think most people thought was unlikely or unlikely to succeed. Speaking to McLean's magazine in 1998, she said, my husband is the only one who really knows me. To get through the kind of life I've been through you have to be strong and it is wonderful when you find the right person who can share everything about you. Mm.
1: One thing you guys need to know about Mutt Lang is that he was very reclusive and despite his wife being one of the most famous people in the world actually very anti-fame. He lived an incredibly private life despite being behind so many huge records and artists In fact, it only intensified as time went on. In the year 2000, he and Shania moved from Canada to Switzerland at his insistence. When they landed in Switzerland, they moved into a massive 46-room chateau. Mutt was the one to make the move first, while Shania finished touring for her album. Months later, once her tour had wrapped, she also moved to Switzerland and into this chateau. They very quickly fell pregnant with a baby boy.
0: Yeah, one source spoke to People magazine about this and explained it was important for Mutt to have privacy to be out of the limelight. It was important for him, so it was important for her. Only in their 46-room chateau in Switzerland, Shania often found herself alone and lonely. To contextualise, of course, she's gone from being one of the biggest pop stars in the world, constantly working, constantly on tour, to living in a foreign country with no friends and no family around and 44 more bedrooms than you probably need. (laughs) Now, the only companion she had at this time was a woman named Marianne Tibor, who was hired to be Mutt's personal assistant and interpreter. Marianne was married to a man named Frederick, a Swiss executive
1: for Nestle, and these two families became incredibly close. Yeah, while they didn't have much in common initially, Marianne and Shania were both pregnant at the same time, so grew a lot closer through that shared experience. They went to pregnancy and birth classes together, shared the same obstetrician, had the same delivery room, and essentially experienced new motherhood together, which I guess is as... Bond building as you can get with two women. I think it'd be pretty intimate, hey? Not that I've done it, but I can
0: imagine it being very intimate. Shania's world was becoming smaller and smaller to the point where the only real friend or social contact she said she had was Marianne. As Shania wrote in her memoir, I respected Mutt's wishes to keep our lives very private, even during my pregnancy. So I saw my family very rarely during that time and into the first weeks after my delivery. I regret that neither of my sisters was there. Asia's birth. Marianne was my only companion through this very special period of my life.
1: I think we need to say as well, I mean, Switzerland is a country where the prominent language is Swiss German. I can imagine it would be very isolating to not speak that language fluently when you move over.
0: Yeah, as Shania later told Oprah, Fred and Mutt were good friends and Marianne and I were good friends. She was my confidant, somebody who understood what my concerns were in my marriage. I mean, they found these friends, right? Mm. These really tight friends in this scenario. And as Shania hinted in that quote, Mish, she did start to have concerns about her marriage. Mm. She was starting to worry about it. Mutt was pulling away and she couldn't work out why. And so she spent a great deal of time confiding in Marianne, not knowing that the whole time Marianne knew exactly what
1: was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, guys, all of that is coming up in episode two. We have a few people to thank for the research in this episode. Thank you to Sahani Gunatilika and eilish gilligan two of our great team members who helped us work on this one zara there was so much here and god was it interesting to recap it all
0: yeah if you are desperate to hear the second part of this because we know we left you on a bit of a (laughs) cliffhanger you know that you can if you subscribe to shame more on apple Podcasts, which is the subscription arm of shameless podcast Part two will be waiting for you. Yeah. However, if you're in a more patient mood, see you next Monday. <laughs> we'll see you next Monday. In the meantime, of course, we'll have our pop culture wrap on Thursday. And you know where to find us on social media. We're everywhere. Search Shameless. You'll find you'll us. You'll find <laughs> us. Bye, guys. Bye.
1: Shameless Media.